Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am Pat Rulo. We specialize in author interviews, audiobook, and podcast production, as well as the prestigious Firebird Book Awards and the Positive Change Podcast Awards. We also feature our fun and short podcast that allows authors to record their own writing tip to share on our Boom Bang Oh My Gosh Wild podcast. And you can find that along with the rest of our offerings at speakuptalkradio.com. But now, I am so happy to share a recent Firebird Book Award winning author with you. He is Larry Freeland, and his winning book is titled Chariots in the Sky, a story about U.S. Army assault helicopter pilots at war in Vietnam. Larry was born in Canton, Ohio, and since his father was an officer with the United States Air Force, he grew up on many Air Force bases across this country. After graduating from high school at Ramey Air Force Base in Puerto Rico, he attended the University of South Florida in Tampa. He graduated in 1986 with a degree in mathematics and a concentration in finance. He then joined the U.S. Army and served one tour in Vietnam with the 101st Airborne Division as an infantry officer and a CH-47 helicopter pilot. He is the recipient of the Distinguished Flying Cross with one oak leaf cluster, the Air Medal with 10 oak leaf clusters, the Bronze Star, and various other military service medals. Upon release from active duty in 1973, he returned to civilian life and pursued a career in the financial industry and then with Lanier Technical College in their management and leadership development program. He's now retired and lives in Georgia with his wife, Linda, a retired school teacher, and they stay involved in various activities, most notably those associated with the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation and veterans-related organizations. So fascinating and interesting. We can just talk about that, but we've got more, and I've been looking forward to this. So welcome to the network, Larry. Uh, Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Appreciate the opportunity. Oh, Larry, just the bio. I mean, we could spend hours talking about all of those goodies that you've done in your life. Well, I've been very fortunate. Uh, I won't share my age, but it's, it's way up there. And <laughs> I've done a lot of things, met a lot of folks, traveled a lot, just had a lot of opportunities. I feel very uh, blessed and unfortunate. Oh, thank you. That's very kind to say, looking back on your life. Oh, listen, congratulations on winning the Firebird Book Award, too. That was fun. Yes, it was. I was thrilled when I uh, learned of the different awards I did get from your organization. Great. Well, I appreciate the fact that you joined us and your donation to our um, pillowcase project. That was very kind of you, so thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, your book is historical fiction about the helicopter aspect of the Vietnam War. Before we get into the book, why did you feel compelled to write about this? This is a story, uh, it is, I wrote it as historical fiction, but it is a story that uh, I carry with me many, many decades, actually. Uh, I served in Vietnam, as you pointed out, in 71. The book is built around an operation at the end of the war involving the largest helicopter aspect of the war, and I participated in that from the beginning to the end. And when I came back home and got out of the service, like most fellows, I just wanted to forget about it and put it in a closet and uh, get on with my life. Well, I did that uh, up until the late 80s uh, and uh, saw a movie called Platoon by Oliver Stone. And uh, like a lot of fellas, myself included, that kind of 
reawoke me to some of the experiences from Vietnam. It was a unique movie. I thought it was probably one of the better ones up to that point. Kind of went over the top a little bit, I thought, but well, it just took me back you know, with many memories and it reawoken some of my experiences as a pilot. And I thought, you know, he did a good job giving the uh, viewers of his movie an opportunity to see what it was like a little bit for the fellows on the ground, the grunts, if you will. And I thought, you know, if, if a movie was made about the helicopter aspect, which was iconic to the war, and could do the same thing, uh, a similar storyline, if you will, like that, and get it out there, it would be interesting to see how the public reacted to it. Because helicopters were central to that whole war, the strategy of fighting it. Anybody that served over there will remember the sound of the helicopter blades and the JP-4 fuel smells and those kind of things. So uh, I was always a movie buff, and I went ahead and wrote a little, sometime after that movie, I just kept, in the back of my mind, kept saying, you know, I'd like to see a movie like that, and being a movie buff, like I mentioned, I, I sent a query letter to Oliver Stone, and this had been probably four or five months after I saw that movie, and I knew that he was working on a second movie, and I heard rumors he was going to do a third one. So I, I wrote him this query letter and said, you know, I liked your movie, we and stuff. And, you know, I think it'd be kind of nifty if you could uh, come up with a movie for uh, helicopters, and uh, you know, I'd be more than happy to share some of my thoughts and, and maybe work with you or some one of your people. And about a month or two later, he writes me back. <laughs> oh, okay, this is great. Uh, said he, he um, was working on the second one, which was uh, didn't give tell me at the time, but it was born on the Fourth of July with Tom Cruise. And they did have a storyline for his third one, but it did involve helicopters. And encouraged me to go out and uh, do some research. Gave me some suggestions of books to read. And said, you know, write a book about your thought. Write a book or write a screenplay and try and market it and see what happens. This is a long road, but I've got a really good idea. You know, you might want to consider going for it. So I uh, I, I took all of his advice, and I kind of put it on, on in one of my desk corners, and I said, you know, I, I think I'll sleep on that. And that was about a year or so later. I just couldn't shake it out of the back of my mind. So to make a long story short, I, I did a lot of research, read some books, and ended up writing a screenplay uh, about Lomson and... Uh, then I entered into a screenwriting contest here in Atlanta and got honorable mention for the screenplay. I thought, wow, I'm on my way, and somebody's going to pick me up, and <laughs> there'll be a movie. Uh, of course, that didn't happen. Uh, but I wrote query letters up to 10, uh, out to 10 production companies in uh, Hollywood, heard back from three. They read my screenplay, all liked it. Two didn't want to move forward. One built more pictures. I uh, thought that it was really pretty good, so they were going to bump it up their chain. Uh, and they kept talking to me over the phone over a period of several months. And then, you know, it looked like they might option it, uh, but ultimately they didn't. They had told me they had another war genre in post-production and uh sequel to that if it did well. And, uh, and so they didn't want to pick up another uh, war genre at that point. Turned out that movie was... Uh, Sniper with Tom Berenger. Mm. Of course, that did real well, and they went on to make several sequels, oh. actually. Oh. So I kind of got close, but no cigar. And all during that time, people that read my screenplay, and there were a lot of them over a period of time, said, you really got to turn this into a book. And I was so burned out, I packaged it all up, put it away. And then uh, about 2018, the idea comes back, and I'm not getting any younger. This story is burning in the back of my head. Why don't you try and... Uh, 
put it to paper, pen to paper, and write a book. So we go into 20, 2020, and of course COVID shows up, and everybody's locked down. So I just came up to my office, pulled everything out, and I started writing. <laughs> By the end of 2020, I had produced this book. Uh, I sent it around to some uh, publishers. One of them picked me up, and uh, and the rest is history. Uh, we we initially published it last, April of 21. We republished it in the, October of 21. And it's been doing quite well uh, out there. I'm really, really proud of it. Oh, I'm so glad I asked that question. That is such a, <laughs> a neat story. I don't think it's too late for the screenplay either. I mean, maybe it could still happen. Yeah, I hope so. I'd, I'd really like to see. Uh, yeah. I'm a I'm a big fan of Chris Pratt. And I think he'd be perfect for the main character, TJ. That would be great if he was to get some of his people to read it and say, well, I might do this. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm going to keep everything crossed. All my fingers are crossed for this. That would be so cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, so many folks have said that, uh, that have read the book, say this would be a, a really good movie at some point, So, mm-hmm. um, which makes me feel good because that's how it started. But I, I certainly uh, am proud of the book, too. I've gotten a lot of good feedback over the uh, over, since it's been, you know, been put out there. So. You talk about that period uh, during helicopter warfare. What is it called? Lamson? Lamson? Yeah, Lamson. Lamson. Uh, that particular operation, I'll, I'll, I'll just touch on it. it um, in 1971, uh, President Nixon had begun uh, turning, uh, called Viet- Vietnamizing, Vietnamizing the war, turning it over to the Vietnamese. He actually started in late 69 and 70. It was picking up uh, steam, and we were standing down units in the southern part of uh South Vietnam as the Vietnamese army particularly was taking over. And so we went into 71, that process was uh, accelerating. Uh, but what um, what was lagging behind, we'd build up their army quite a bit, their equipment and their Marines, but their helicopter uh, force was, was just in its infancy stage. It wasn't real large, so they were still very dependent on the Americans mostly to provide a lot of helicopter support when they did their missions out and uh, going out doing, picking up what we used to do, search and destroy kind of things. Airlift guys uh, infantry in and, and resupply them and bring them out when they were done. Uh, so in 1971, uh, the, the spring, basically starting in January, and then this Lomson kicked off in February. It's supposed to run four months, only lasted two, and I'll come back to that, but Lamson 719 was designed to uh, cut off the Ho Chi Minh Trail that was running down through Laos into Cambodia, up on the far northwest corner of, of uh, South Vietnam, up there where North Vietnam and South Vietnam met and Laos met. And that's where Kaesong, the firebase Kaesong was. Everybody that knows anything about Vietnam would, would, has heard of Kaesong, the Marines, in their big Tet battles of 68. But after Tet, that base was shut down, and everybody kind of pulled back from that area. But for this invasion, well, they called it an incursion into Laos, designed to cut off the Ho Chi Minh Trail uh, that was going running through there. Um, it was designed to go in there, go about 60, 70 miles into Laos, cut a path out there, and stop all the NVA from flowing further south uh, through Laos. And it was to be a complete South Vietnamese uh, supported operation. They were going to send their men, their men in, their Arvin, Army Republic of Vietnam and their Marines with a few of their helicopters. They didn't have, like I say, had very few. 
So the helicopter aspect of that fell to the Americans, uh, and the 101st Airborne was assigned in that area called I-Corps up, near, up in the way, Fu Bai, Ashall Valley, Quang Tree, didn't uh, demilitarize zone. We were still a, uh, a complete division, uh, still doing some uh, a little bit of fighting in the Ashall, uh, but we were also getting ready to slow down and stand down later into the year, but we were still one of those units that was totally active and, and engaged at different points. So we were tasked with providing all of their helicopter support. We had over 650 uh, helicopters in the 101st. Hueys was the main thing. Uh, gunships were the Cobras, Chinooks, and uh, Loaches, and so forth. It came to about 680 helicopters, the total uh, fleet asset of the, of the 101st. I was at CH-47. There were three Chinook companies, A, B, and C. We made up the 159th Aviation Battalion. I was in A company, and they... Our call sign was the Pachyderms. Uh, when I got there in the mid-January, uh, went through initiation and you'd pick your call sign. So it'd be Pachyderm and you'd, you'd, you'd pick a number between one and whatever it was. They had a sequence. And when you got there, you'd pick one that wasn't already assigned. And I chose the number 25. I was 24. I just turned 24 when I got there. I mean, if I survived and went home, I'd be 25. So. My call sign became Pachyderm 2-5. But I got there just in time to be a, be involved in this operation. That uh, When it started in uh, February 1st and ran, supposed to run for four months, but it was terminated uh, the first week in April. Um, the South Vietnamese sent in to lay us about 22,000 of their soldiers. We dedicated our whole helicopter force to supporting them. Basically, what they did was uh, went into Laos, followed a road. It was actually a dirt road called Route 9, which paralleled a little river on its left, deep into Laos, about 60, 70 miles. And there was a, a, a village way out there called Tacom that was the target to, to, to ultimately get to. And their strategy was to start down this route, leaving South Vietnam out of, La- out of Quezon, go down that route with their mechanized and infantry units and just work their way out there. And on the way, they were to establish fire bases on each side of the road in the higher elevations, ridge lines, hills, and low mountains. And ultimately, by the fourth week, North Vietnamese had put in 65,000 of their men to go up against 22,000 of the South Vietnamese. Uh, but between all the, all the uh, helicopter forces that went in, Huey's, Chinooks and Cobra and some loaches to help control as control ships um, sustain massive losses. We would come under heavy uh, anti-aircraft fire uh, when we'd cross into Laos almost, and then we'd go to these fire bases, and the further out we'd go, and the closer we'd get down to the ground by those fire bases, we would take horrendous ground fire. It was the most extensive of the war. Uh, they uh, normally, if you're going into a regular LZ, hot LZ in South Vietnam, you'd be shot at by uh, small arms fire, machine guns, some, what we call rocket propelled grenades. Maybe some mortar rounds would be popping in. But when we would go into those fire bases, it was all of that plus uh, any aircraft fire from 20 millimeter and 40 millimeter cannons, like they used in World War II, 
There was even some tanks uh, on some of those fire bases towards the end of the second month. So it was a very intensive uh, uh, air operation of the uh, multiple aircraft that we had that we used for the operation. There was approximately, like I said, 680. 108 of those helicopters were destroyed. 610 were classified as battle damage, and 20% of those were so badly damaged we couldn't even use them. We used them for re uh, replacement parts. Of uh, 79 uh, helicopter uh, crew members were killed during this two months, 59 were wounded, and 11 MIA. It was the most ex uh, extensive uh, aerial operation of the war. It was the most costly of the war, and it came at the end of the war. You know, nobody wanted to be the last man to die over there, but uh, in that operation, uh, it was very tough for the pilots, and I, just, I speak for myself, to get up every morning and knew you were going to fly over there, and you knew the war was winding down quick. And it was just, it just made it tougher. But we, we persevered. We, we, uh, the operation itself, uh, like I said, it was supposed to go four months. It only went two. We had to go in and pull them out, bring them back, uh, and then we shut down Quezon and uh, eventually in April and May, and, and that whole area went uh, basically docile. But uh, those two months were very, very intense, and uh, anybody who was there, I don't think, will forget it. But I tried to capture all that in my book. Uh, about half my book is dedicated to that. first half of the book is dedicated to that operation, and the second half just kind of goes on into the rest of, uh, of the pilot, the main character, TJ's tour in Vietnam before he, before he comes home. Oh, my. Are there other books or other recounts of this time out there? I'm sure there are, but are there many? Yes. Uh, there's not that many there. Uh, uh, there's, there are books on Lomson, and there are many books uh, on, on the helicopter uh, aspect of the war from different uh, men in, that served as pilots or crew members. Mm -hmm. There are not a great deal, though, of them. Uh, there's a couple uh, before my published uh, that have gotten a lot of attention, uh, and uh, my, my book's been doing pretty well. I'm, I've been very pleased with it. Most of them were written uh, as autobiographies or biographies mm -hmm. or a compilation of true stories from pilots, and uh, they can make riveting, and many do make riveting reads. I, I wanted to write a book uh, on a historical fiction basis, not about an individual or a crew, so I wanted to write it so the reader could uh, hopefully identify with the main character and become the main character as they read the book and experience what he's experienced and feel the pain, feel the fear, feel the stress, uh, and, and feel the camaraderie and, and so on and so forth that the, the pilots and crews went through. And to do that, I felt I couldn't do it as a biography or an autobiography. I thought better to create a fictional pilot and I, the main character is Taylor St. James, nicknamed TJ, and have him embody or embe uh, the uh, typical helicopter pilot from the Vietnam War. And um, so many people that have read it have made the comment back uh, either to me personally or in a, a response of some kind that, you know, they did, in fact, <laughs> feel like they were TJ and had no idea exactly what all we did go through or how did you do that? How are you even here today? So I think I was pretty successful in uh, pulling the reader in 
and uh, letting them become TJ at some point and, and just read through the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that there is kind of unique. There's some others out like that, but that, that to me is the uniqueness of the book. Oh, I agree. And it is based in historical fact in mm-hmm. so many cases. Mm-hmm. It, 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 you know, it, the storyline is historically accurate in many cases. You know, embellished, you know, as a writer, you know, a little dram- more dramatic in some in some parts. Well, I think that's a lot easier for many people to read because you still get the feel, the flavor of the action and what happened. But then yet you feel like you're, like you say, you're involved with the character. You feel like you're that person or you know that person. That must have been fun for you to write. Actually, it was. Uh, it, I enjoyed writing it. When I finally found my character, I just turned him loose. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, he needs to do this, but he pulled me in another direction. I know that sounds corny, but... Uh, it was just times when the character just seemed to kind of take over a little bit or some of the supporting characters that I built. Uh, and I really just enjoyed, uh, as I got into it and went everywhere. Now there were, there were some pretty dramatic scenes in there that, uh, were close to home. And, you know, I don't mind saying that, that, you know, they kind of grabbed me a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's a couple still, if I read that part, I get a little teary eyed, but, uh, yeah, the character took over and I just enjoyed, uh, living the experiences or reliving some of them. Uh, through through him, uh, to me that's just part of the joy of writing this, this particular book. I've just finished my second book with my and my main character there. I ultimately captured him and lived through him, and I'm working on my third book now. And I, I'm just starting to get get that character in the back of my head. So uh, to me, that's just the kind of the draw. <laughs> That's so fun. And you're not the only person that says that. So many folks, so many authors who I speak with say the same thing, that they start off with this character where they might have a direction for them to go. And then that character just takes off and the author, the writer is just left following behind. It's like, okay, we'll go wherever you want. (laughs) That's true. I've heard that before. I'm very late to this game of writing. It's certainly not my career, but I've heard that over the over the years uh, from some folks who've written it. But how can that be? Uh-huh. You're the one driving the boat. But it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I find that so fascinating. It's almost as if there's, well, there are so many layers to us and to our brain and our thought processes. It's just we don't typically think in those terms. And it's kind of kind of neat when we let ourselves go and let that creative process take over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's fun. It really is. At this stage in my life, I never would have dreamed I was doing anything like this. But uh, there are times when I'm up here writing and I'm into my character. My wife has to come up and get me when it's time for dinner. I forget everything else around me, which is great. That is kind of neat. The time just zips right by. And see, obviously, you're you're meant to be doing what you're doing. Is your second book finished? Yes, yeah. it's called uh, Chair. I'm sorry, it's called uh, Legacy of Honor. It's book one in my trilogy, Legacy of Honor dash the Patriarch. I'm working on book two now, and then ultimately book three. I signed a, a, a three book trilogy contract uh, January of this of this of this year, and uh, it's it's going to be published. It's ready to go. We're going to put it out uh, uh, by the end of August, probably in about two weeks. And it'll, it's all going to be on my website. It's already out there, uh, synopsis of the book and the titles and, and the 10 reviews that I've gotten back so far, and they've been very, very good and encouraging. So oh. I'm really happy about that. Excellent. What a great jump start. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. 
All righty. Well, as we begin to wrap up, I want to make sure that there's not anything we missed that you wanted to highlight. Uh, I think I pretty well touched on it. Um, you know, hopefully uh, more people that haven't heard of it or are ready yet would go out and, uh, you know, pick it up and read it. I hope they, if they do, they find it a worthy effort. Uh, it's a period in our history that, uh, um, most people, younger people, of course, don't know about it. Mm-hmm. And the people that were in our gener- my generation, even some of the pilots and the, and the fellows that served in the earlier pilot had never heard of Lomson. Mm-hmm. And then after they read it, they go, Oh my God, how did anybody survive that? <laughs> it's just a, it was a horrendous two months. And, uh, uh but anyway, uh, I just hope that folks that haven't seen it or read it yet, pick it up and give it a shot because uh, it's dedicated to the men uh, that are, that served on helicopter crews. They're a brave bunch of fellows. Have you heard back from some of them? Oh, yeah. I get I get the emails and, and reach outs uh, uh, several times a month, uh, and they're all, uh, they're all, with one or two exceptions, they're all just really, wow, that was great, and that brought back memories, and, you know, they start talking trading stories and I've actually hooked up with two pilots I used to fly with over there. I when I got out of the army I never saw anybody again. Yeah. And over the last year I've, I've re- reconnected with two fellows that we served in. Oh wow. So, that's pretty experience all that's been. <laughs> I guess that would be and I could see how when you got out of there it was like I'm not thinking about this again. I'm not looking back. I'm moving forward, but it's interesting as we get older Obviously, those kinds of experiences are not going anywhere, even if you try to shove them someplace else. So, um, yeah. yeah well, I'm a big, uh, my heroes growing up were World War II veterans, and I knew many over the years, even to this, well, they're passing quite rapidly now, but even to this day. And, you know, that group of men, uh, over 16 million of them, you always hear about them. Uh, they just kept it to themselves. They did what they needed to do, came back, and went on with their life. But a lot of them, as they waned, as they get into their 70s, 80s, and 90s, some of them have been opening up a little bit. And mm-hmm. We've been capturing their stories and everything. So I kind of my point being, I think, as you get older, because I'm, I'm 75, it just it just starts. Some of it just starts to bubble out, even if you don't want it. To. Right. Right. Interesting. It is interesting, but uh, at least you've chronicled this. It's out there for eternity. So thank you for doing that. Certainly. Yeah. So why don't you share your contact information where folks can find out more about you and where they can get copies of your books? I'll be glad to. Uh, I would recommend going to my website. It's all lowercase LarryFreeland.com. When you go out there and bring it up, uh, it's got... Uh, the menu has several drop downs and you'll, you'll learn a little bit about, uh, each book. You'll see, uh, uh, reviews that have been, uh, captured and put out there. You'll get a synopsis of the book. You can, uh, get a little more of my, of my history, see some pictures of me over to say that I just didn't fly helicopters. I enjoy a lot of other things. Uh, so you go to that site and you'll learn everything you wanted to know and you can follow the, uh, the books that'll continue to come out. And from that site, you can go to buy the book, hit that, and it'll bring up uh, five uh, five icons. Uh, my books are on Amazon, which is, of course, the, the big one, Barnes & Noble, uh, Books a Million, Indie, and there's one other out there. But from that from, from that menu, you pull it up and you hit any one of them that you would uh, 
like to uh, purchase it from. And it'll bring you right to my book too, so you know, I, you know it saves time. And also, I encourage people who uh, use bookstores to you can go to any bookstore and order my book. Uh, the bookstores across the country have taken a real hit across over the last decade or two. And, uh, if you can support a local bookstore, or have a favorite one, you could definitely order it through them. And it's on all the ebook uh, platforms, every one of them. All right. So you are everywhere you are supposed to be. And thank you for giving a shout out to bookstores. Uh, we don't want to see them disappear. No. Nope. All right, we're speaking with Larry Freeland, and his winning book is titled Chariots in the Sky, a story about U.S. Army assault helicopter pilots at war in Vietnam. And I think we gave you a great taste of what is to come in his book and in his future book. So head over to LarryFreeland.com. Larry, I was so excited to learn more about this time period, and you did not disappoint. Thank you so much for sharing, and please share your upcoming books with us as well. I will. I'll enter my new one later in the year for next year with y'all. See what happens. Absolutely. So thank you so much. Thank you. 